Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Sophia Casey. Sophia is the co-founder and CLO of the International Coaching and Leadership Institute, ICLI. But before we get into that, firstly, Sophia, hi, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I love having these conversations. Anytime I get to have a conversation or in the HR world, I'm always a yes. So thank you for inviting me. So yeah, just for context, whereabouts are you based? I actually am in the Washington, D.C. area, actually about an hour and a half outside of Washington, D.C., Nice. an area that we call the Eastern Panhandle. So if I walk out my door, I literally see a mountain. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> and I split my time between here and where our school is headquartered, which is Bermuda. Oh, fabulous. Very good. Tell us about the ICLI. What is it that you guys do and who do you help? Yeah. So the International Coaching and Leadership Institute is a coach training and leadership development school, if you will. Right now we are 100% virtual and we're slowly moving towards hybrid, but we will always offer virtual training, of course, as well. But our focus is to actually fulfill up on our mission, which is coaching for everyone, everywhere. It's a big mission. It is. But it is a huge mission, but it is our commitment to make coaching services, coach training, leadership development training available to everyone. And that part in our name, international, we take that very seriously. And we are so fortunate to be able to say that we have graduates from all over the world. Brilliant. Now, I want to ask you about your background in a moment, but firstly, probably worth defining what coaching is because it can mean different things to different people. What does it mean to the ICLI? I so appreciate you asking that question because oftentimes confused quite a bit out there in the internet streets, as I call them. Oftentimes, coaching is actually defined as telling someone what to do. And I'm really good at that, Ben. But as a coach, that's not my job. And so as a coach, what I'm focused on is relating to you as whole and complete and naturally resourceful. Mm -hmm. And my job is to support you with moving forward. I love American football. And one of the terms that you hear in American football is advance the ball. That means get closer and closer to the goal. And so my job as your coach would be to support you in advancing the ball, getting closer and closer to your goal. And ICLI, we're a bit unique. Well, I should say we're very unique in that we focus on a very specific type of coaching called ontological coaching. And so we train coaches to not only focus on supporting you around advancing the ball, moving forward towards your goal, moving your goals forward, but also most importantly, how are you being about all of that? Mm. How are you being? What is your relationship to the possibility or impossibility of getting to that goal. Oftentimes it's confused. Our work is confused all the time with therapy, all the time. And so I am happy to say I'm not a therapist. (laughs) I have great colleagues and friends who are. And so I partner with them. Typically it's past-based, looking to the past. The past could be last week, but looking to the past and trying to diagnose and figure out why something happened. As a coach, I'm focused on that. 
people come to coaches thinking that we are going to support them around, why did I do that? Why did this go this way? Some of those conversations do naturally come up, of course, in our coaching sessions. And that's why I always say therapy and coaching, great marriage. Yeah, A lot yeah. of my clients actually work with therapists and they work with me too. And then the other one is often confused with is consulting. And that's another hat that I wear. I'm a corporate trainer also. So I am a business consultant. But I tell you, it's confused a lot with consulting. And, you know, as a consultant, especially our HR professionals, right, we are experts. We are used to telling people what to do or giving a lot of suggestions. And as a coach, I'm not the expert. Client is the expert. And they may give me permission to offer some suggestions from time to time as well. Yeah. I was going to say that getting that buy-in, that commitment, it means it's going to be a far greater impact, far greater likelihood of success. Yes. And then they can celebrate that they did it. Yes. When I came into this profession, I was coming from being a director of human resources, director of enterprise-wide training. So used to offering suggestions and plans and sharing with people what I think is best for them. And it was a huge mindset shift for me to come from coach, which is more of leaning back and trusting that Ben has the answers. Ben has the resources. If I just pull back and allow the space for Ben to actually get some awareness and figure it out. Yeah, that makes good sense. And the thing you were saying earlier about the therapy and the coaching going hand in hand, I can see that in the uh, the business sense or the sporting sense, as they always talk about coaches of maybe clearing up old blocks and sort of taking off some of the shackles, but then the coach really drives things forwards from there, potentially, you know, in seeking that next goal and then taking those steps and, and advancing the ball. So, yeah. It's been wonderful. I actually have always worked with a therapist and I have several coaches, but a therapist and coach at the same time. And it's even sweeter when I've given my coach permission to ask me about what's happening in therapy because that way, you know, it's all transparent. And the same thing, when I go visit my therapist or talk to my therapist, I share what's happening in my coaching work too. And for listeners, I think that's a really important point. The fact that you continue to get work or work with coaches, therapists, because many, many people who might you know seek to offer their services or expertise don't necessarily get help for themselves, which I don't know, it's yeah. a bit, in a sales world, it's sometimes hard to sell services when you're not doing putting your own skin in the game, let's say, and doing the same sort of thing yourself. Absolutely. You mentioned you know, HR and so on. I know you come from the HR world. Is that right? Can you just give us a little background as for the context of where you came from up until forming the ICLI? Absolutely. That was one of the highlights of my career. So for many years, I was director of human resources. My title changed, but certainly still the same position for the U.S. federal government. And I had the wonderful opportunity to work for the White House and work with very prominent people whose names <laughs> you know many, many years ago. And I'm so grateful that the title that was bestowed upon me when I worked for the White House was Director of First Impressions. <laughs> and I'm grateful for that because that title spoke to my commitment to customer service. And I won't get on that soapbox because <laughs> I can't. But customer service is really important to me. And so it was, and actually it was a natural progression also from that work to going into human resources, which is definitely focused on customer service. Yeah. So I was director of HR for quite some time, also director of enterprise-wide training, 
for a number of federal government agencies. One that people tend to find fun to talk about is the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. So the organization wow. that stamps all of those inventions and all of those trademarks. And I have had a wonderful, wonderful career. I worked for several federal government agencies and, and several political leaders. And then from there, I got introduced to a coach because I had some goals that I wanted to work on and I wanted to, they were kind of stalling. Okay. Let me just be honest. I was procrastinating. <laughs> so I was stalling a bit and I was sharing this with one of my sorority sisters. And she says, you may want to work with a coach. I'm working with the coach. She introduced me to her coach and I fell in love with the profession, fell in love, literally signed up within a week or so to actually go through formal coach training. I went through a very rigorous year-long program out of New York and I was hooked. I was hooked from there. Oh, that's brilliant. And yeah, the career in the HR side of things and the director of first impressions that sort of takes me back to my first ever HR manager job for oh. my own team. I set up a couple of financial or business measures, productivity, and I don't know, injury frequency rate, something like that. But then we had employee feedback, you know, based on survey scores. But then the last one was a customer service measure to see how we as a team were doing, you know, so we go around, ask some managers, ask some people, frontline workers to get a variety of feedback to score that. Cause I just think it's so important. So I, I love to hear you say that. So that's yeah, really important. It's critically important, you know, and so I said my relationship and my mindset around coaching changed, but also my relationship to getting that customer feedback changed too. You can imagine in the beginning, you know, get this customer feedback. And if it wasn't always glowing, it was like, oh, yeah. And to go from there to actually like literally salivating to get <laughs> that feedback because it, the feedback helped, you know, yeah. it's just data, data to help us to improve, to yeah. improve our customer service delivery. So Definitely shifted my relationship <laughs> to hearing what we were doing well and what we were not doing so well. Absolutely. Before I let you move on, it reminds me of the standard rule of that I experienced when I was doing employee surveys and things like that mm. is when I'd go back to the management team to report back on results. There'd always be one manager whose area people weren't too happy. And that same manager would always say, oh, but it was... Joe in that department, because they sit in the wrong area, it's very noisy. That's why they're not happy. It's nothing to do with my management style. But then secondly, no. I, I heard it, or someone told me recently, maybe on the podcast of an organization where they ran employee feedback type stuff. And then they heard that the senior management never talks to us when you have to hear everything oh. from our frontline managers all the time. It's terrible. And so the senior, the C-suite went, oh, this is great. We'll just get the frontline people to do it all from now on. That's great. Okay. We're happy. So they actually saw that as a, a nice way to do things. So Yes, absolutely. And getting that feedback, it actually made my job as an HR director easier. Yeah. It really did. I mean, especially when you're thinking about like what programs, you know, would be beneficial to the workforce in the next two, five years. I had to start with that data. What did they say? What did they say they wanted? Exactly. So on that sort of HR theme, you have been developing a coaching program for HR people. Is that right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we're just in the beginning stages having conversations and brainstorming and having a lot of conversations with HR professionals on what would be most supportive of them, especially in the world that we find ourselves in now. I work with a lot of C-suite executives. I work with a lot of senior managers who are in the HR realm, and we're starting to hear some themes, if you will, 
around HR professionals really being overburdened, especially, you know, navigating the pandemic and all of that. And so I've been really interested in doing some research around what would be most supportive of them from my world. So my world as a coach, as a provider of coach training and leadership development. And so I've been doing some digging around, certainly with the Society of HR Management, SHRM, and just getting more data, talking to more HR professionals. And so I've created just a straw man so far to address some of the things that they said. What I hear consistently is the need for coaching skills, not necessarily for them to become internal coaches in their organizations, but for them to be able to communicate more effectively Mm -hmm. with their team members, with their peers, and be able to communicate up. I hear that quite a bit. And also using coaching skills to navigate resignation or the great resignation as it's been termed and the quiet quitting. Like how do I as an HR professional support myself in a way that I can truly support someone else? And coaching skills have been extremely helpful in that regard. What might be surprising is one of the things that we focus on a lot in our training and definitely will be a part of this HR program that we're going to create is around well-being. Yeah. The HR professionals' well-being. You know, as HR professionals, we are so concerned, right? Of course, (laughs) our job is to be concerned about everybody else. And so I have found that, you know, having coaching skills as an HR professional can be very, very supportive of making sure that you're sourced enough to be able to provide services to your internal customers. I'm very excited about it. So (laughs) That sounds amazing. Yeah. And it's great that you're getting feedback and you're speaking to Shroom about it and just rather than trying to create a a learning platform or learning product in isolation and then taking it back out there and getting that buy-in. Yeah. That's another thing that's very helpful in my career as an HR professional and also as an owner of the school is partnering with those people. I'm like, they're the subject matter experts, right? And I learned that later in my career, I wish I had learned it earlier (laughs) as an HR director, that things could be so much easier and implementing programs were was a lot easier when I partnered with those subject matter experts. So those department heads and even like a C-suite executives as well to not at the end <laughs> once I had developed the program, but as we were developing the programs, it made all of our lives a lot easier. Absolutely. And so for this new program and also for your existing coaching programs, what do you do to get the word out there and help more organizations, both from a marketing and or growth perspective? What are you doing to acquire those new customers or clients? Yes, certainly. Of course, I'm not a marketing expert. People always think I am because I do a lot of marketing. (laughs) I'm just comfortable marketing. But a lot of things we do, of course, is make sure that we have the information out there on social media, make sure that our website is actually addressing frequently asked questions, things like that. But what I have found to be the most effective marketing tool is building relationship. Hmm. Like no matter how many times I try to get around it and shortcut it, and there are ways that you can make it shorter, but it always comes back to building relationship and in an energy of co-creation. Yeah. Not where I'm coming to you to tell you how I'm going to fix you. 
but actually having conversations with corporate decision makers on what are your pain points? What's keeping you up at night or what's waking you up (laughs) at night, right? What are the things or conversations that you're not having because you don't feel comfortable having them? So having those kind of conversations, my experience has been naturally builds relationship. And from that place, I can talk to them about ICLI and how ICLI and our services can be supportive of them. But I tell you, it always comes back to relationship. It is great. And for people listening to this, some of them may say, well, we've gone virtual. So some businesses I don't know yet. So how do I establish that relationship in the first place? Have you any advice for them on how they can start and grow relationships in this virtual world? That's a great question. I never thought I would say this, but I love doing virtual training. I liked virtual training. Now I love virtual <laughs> training. And that's because I've experienced creative ways of actually connecting with people through this box here. Yeah. And so one of the things I would encourage people to consider is actually like doing some type of workshop where people get to experience your product or experience your service, experience what would be your intervention or your proposed intervention for their organization versus reading a brochure versus talking at them. And so we do a number of workshops on various topics. And most times the topics, actually, we don't lead with coaching. So we did a webinar or workshop, if you will, virtually Mm -hmm. with a company that's actually a, their business coaches. And our topic was around resilience and like, what does that really mean? What does that mean in your world? What does that mean in my world? And then the other thing that's so helpful, we do that in workshops and also in our coach training program, we play a lot, Ben. (laughs) We play a lot. It is my belief that we are all big kids and we want to play. And the further we get away from play, the more anxiety we experience, the more bogging down we experience, the more disconnection Mm. with people we experience. And so some people would call them icebreakers, but we call it play. So we do a lot of play. And specifically, we actually use improv, improvisation in our work. And I can tell you one of the comments that was made after we did this workshop brought in some play, shared some activities, engaged the audience quite a bit. One of the comments that was made was, I can't believe how much I learned in this hour because the workshop (laughs) is only an hour. I can't believe how much I learned about myself. And I keep attributing it to our willingness to practice vulnerability because it requires vulnerability to play. And also for us as leaders to come in to the program and say, okay, we're going to play. And you're saying that to some adults. (laughs) I tell you, you know, the majority of my one-on-one client base are C-suite executives. So you can imagine when I say, oh, part of this program and working with me as a coach is we're going to play a lot. Like, (laughs) wait, what? Yeah. I don't have time to be playing. I don't have time to be playing. And I tell you, you know, getting their testimonials at the end of our, or throughout our engagement, oftentimes it's brought me to tears. Oh, beautiful. I had a little flashback there too, when I was involved in a business turnaround project and there was a company and it was losing money. And so 
I personally had to manage redundancies and all this horrible stuff. And then Ooh. after that, trying to work out, oh, how can we educate people on things like profit and loss statements, cash flow analysis, things like yeah. this, so that people could be more aware of how to manage the money that's flowing in the business and, and better customer service the works. Yeah. And so rather than giving them big old lectures, I said, right, you all have to break up into little areas and you have to present back on a section of all of this stuff. But it has to be informative, one. And secondly, it has to be fun. And so you had people coming back doing raps on PL or game show quizzes on cash flow analysis stuff. And it was just, it was incredible. And they all learned it. So I'm 100% with you on that one. Oh my gosh, I'm so taking that. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, like you said, they actually learned yeah. it. They learned it. It's what I said earlier, it's about building relationships. So when you are playing, when they went into those breakout rooms and they're co-creating the raps, they are playing. They're connecting with each other. And I imagine they learned a lot about each other too. Yeah, lots of connections between departments and business yeah. units and all sorts. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. So cool. Can I take you back? You mentioned you were sort of in charge of large sections of training within the federal government. How would companies, whether they be an HR consultancy or a training company or an employment law firm, whatever, how would they approach someone like you to say, we have a training program or software? You're tucked away somewhere in the ivory tower. Any advice or thoughts on how to do that? I saw it when I was actually, you know, the decision maker to bring in these different vendors. Mm. And I see it now that I'm a vendor yeah. with the decision makers. It is the same thing. I know I sound like a broken record. Relationship. It is relationship. And it's also play. I use play a lot. And so oftentimes when I'm trying to get myself in a corporation or I want to pitch myself, what I have found to be extremely effective, I actually teach a class around this, extremely effective is to ask the decision maker to give me an hour. I say, give me one hour with your people. You decide who those people are. Oftentimes, you know what happens, Ben, they send the problem employees. <laughs> But I say, whoever you want to send, give me one hour with them and I'm going to do this training. I tell them about the training and all the nuts and bolts and logistics around it. And every single time, I'm so proud to be able to say every single time I have done that, I converted it into an actual client. Nice. And is that one hour free or paid? I've done them both ways. And what I've learned though, just from history yeah. It's best if it's paid, even if it's a low amount, because it has their skin be in the game. Mm -hmm. I learned that from doing it so many times. But honest to goodness, and it's typically a lower rate than I typically would yeah, charge. Course, yeah. I want them to be bought into, hey, I want you to try this. I want you to check me out. Mm. I don't want you to just buy something off the shelf because you don't know me. And I tell you, like I said, the conversion rate is very high, very yeah. high. Yeah, it's a bit like the person standing outside the shop on a hot summer's day with the ice cream samples or whatever. Yeah. It brings them in, yeah. And yeah. once I've tasted it, I like that, yeah. Every time I've gone to those bigger like warehouse stores and the people are walking around with a little sample, yeah. <laughs> I always end up buying what they share, always. <laughs> and I suspect there's the, I can never say this word, so reciprocity, I think it is. Yes. I suspect there's a little bit of human nature in that one that says, oh, look, thanks for that. I'm going to give back a little. So yeah, this is absolutely fascinating. And then last thing around the business growth and plans, like it's coaching is a crowded space. 
you got these oh. sort of Tony Robbins of the world asking you to walk across hot burning coals or whatever. And yeah. there's lots of other businesses out there. How do you find your place within that coaching world? That's such a great question. Thank you. What I have found to be true is that there is no competition. I know, I know yeah, people I are agree. like, <laughs> I really do relate to this world of getting business from a place of, we don't have competition because we are very unique, but also because there are 7.4 billion people on the planet. Yeah. So I can imagine that there are people who really resonate with you and want to hire you. And there are people who would resonate more with me and my mm -hmm. style and want to mm -hmm. hire me. I would really encourage people to just consider that there is no competition. I mean, of course, you know, when the marketing people, they want to do some analysis and all of that. Sure. No problem. Here are my competitors, if you will. But to really actually consider that there is no competition. When you start with relationship, when you really start with relationship and connecting with people, not just brain to brain, but heart to heart, I have it that competition goes away because the focus is on them and how you can service them and what they need, as opposed to, I have this brilliant idea or this brilliant program for you to fix you. Yeah. We're not broken. <laughs> We're not broken. No, I love that. And and for me, it's that old phrase of a rising tide lifts all boats. So oh. whether it be coaching or employee listening software or HR software, whatever it may be, if we're all saying, you should probably think about doing things a better way, a different way, whether it be with us, with the company down the road, we don't care, but it, we think you've got potential to get even better. Yeah, I think it's all about lifting together. I sure appreciate you saying that. One of the things I, I'm very passionate about and I've been very involved in is supporting other business owners in building their coach training programs and then going on even further as we did in becoming accredited. And what I hear, and I'm formalizing that as a service going into nice. 2023. What I hear a lot, Ben, is why would you do that? <laughs> That's your competition. Why would you go over and help him start a coach training school when you are a coach training school owner? Yeah. And the thing is, it's just what you said. It's like, I'm looking at the bigger picture. What am I most committed to? What I'm most committed to is the mission that I share at the top of this conversation, coaching for everyone, mm. everywhere. Coaching has always been seen as a luxury for the C-suite executives, for those folks in the ivory tower. <laughs> and our mission, my commitment, is that it's made available to everyone, everywhere, that everybody belongs in this conversation and everyone gets access to it. And I tell you, so from that mindset, I don't have competition. Yeah. I'm just thinking back to the days before seatbelts were required Ooh. by law. If you made seatbelts and you were the only seatbelt maker in the world, you'd be going, well, this is going to take forever. But if there are other seatbelt car companies out there trying to grow that market with you, then you're all going to sell more. So Absolutely. And we're learning from each other. I tell you know, some of my colleagues who also own coach training schools, I tell them all the time, I'm watching you because I'm learning from you. Oh my gosh, that didn't work out for you. And I'm also in the process of building communities so coaching communities, a community of other coach training schools, building communities so that we 
can continue to have those conversations and share with each other from a place of meeting the mission. Yeah. Yeah. Coaching for all. Brilliant. Now you've covered so much ground and shared such great advice. So thank you for that very much. If people want to learn more about you and or the business, what should they do next? Okay. It's really easy. Go to visit our website, which is trainingbyicli.com. I'm everywhere on every social media platform. If you just look for Sophia Casey, you'll eventually get back to ICLI <laughs> because it is my number one passion right now for sure. So yes, I would love to have people come and visit trainingbyicli.com and also come and visit us for some of our workshops and come and play. Yeah. Definitely. Sounds like the place to be. Well, Sophia, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and advice today. I really appreciate it and had a great laugh. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Ben. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.